Hey there, me and my golfers, and welcome to today's podcast. Now, we've been extremely fortunate over the last couple of months to have a plethora of special guests, but today's special guest is extra special for myself and Andy in that he has been, as a golf coach, one of our biggest inspirations. This golf coach has learned from some of the best players and coaches in the world, including John Jacobs, Harvey Pennick, Jack Grouts, Jim Flick and Jack Nicholas. So some fantastic golf coaches and some of the best players that have ever played the game. Now in this podcast, we get to know from Martin exactly where it all started, what allowed him to get to the point where he has now the hit TV show, The School of Golf on Golf Channel, and what's driven him over the years to make him one of the best coaches in the world. And we also have a ton of value ready for you guys to listen and soak up to help you with your games. And we really do dive deep into what Martin likes to see in the golf swing and on the golf course. And we just know that this is really gonna help you with your games. So you're really gonna enjoy this. We love doing this podcast. So without further ado, we have Martin Hall. Martin Hall, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Uh, well, probably like everyone else at these times, Andy, a bit um, a bit concerned, a bit confused, a bit worried about the future, but, um, you know, still keep putting one foot in front of the other. Can't let this thing paralyze us and stop us, and I think we all have to keep putting best foot forward, I mean, responsibly so, you know, keeping all the social distancing and all that things, but... I don't think we can just sit down in the middle of the road and just, just stop going forwards. We have to go forwards in a sensible way. So I'm trying to do that, um, trying to uh, trying to learn some things. I've got, you know, big, big library here and obviously online, lots of things to learn. So still trying to increase my skill base, still drive myself mad. Trying to increase my- <laughs> <laughs> That's never going to change, Martin. We know that. That's never going to change. Well, look, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast for, for myself and Piers because... The listeners to this might not know, but Martin's been a, well, you've been a, a key factor and a, a massive impact in our coaching career. And, you know, we remember the first time that we saw you at Bescott Stadium in, in May 2006. You're on stage and presenting. And I think there were a couple of other guys, Greg and Dave from TPI and Jim Sutty. And it's amazing then when we look back to that 14 years ago, how key things from that that day still stick with us now. Some of the things you and, and the rest of the guys said had a massive impact and, and helped shape our careers of, as coaches and, and sort of push, push us in different directions to continue our learning and develop what we've done. So it's great to get you on here to share some of the stories and the lessons that you've learned in your successful career. And we'd love to, to we know how, we know a little bit more about your career before the golf channel and a lot of the guys listening to this might know you from the golf channel and we know there's so much more to to it than the the presenter that we see so we'd love for you to sort of give a bit of a, a backstory if you can on on where you came from and in terms of how you got to where you got to yeah well i'm happy to do that i think uh you know the latter the latter part this latter part of my career the last 10 years i have had a lot of worldwide exposure with the golf channel and closing in on nearly 350 shows now which is incredible i when i started it i thought i might do 10 and i'm <laughs> closing in on 350 and of course it's on sky tv now so when i go back to england now i mean a lot more people know who i am now um that hasn't changed who i am one bit i mean i'm the same person i was before the golf channel and i'd been a golf professional a long time before the golf channel opportunity came along so who, who is martin hall He's someone who was born in Staffordshire, like you two, um, North, North Staffordshire. Uh, 
uh, know Oxley Park very well, as you two do, obviously. <laughs> and uh, I played my junior golf at Newcastle Golf Club. Took some lessons early on. I was I was reasonable. I was a county player. I was uh, captain of the county junior team, so I could play a bit. I think I was about one handicap by the time I was 16, so it wasn't too bad. And um, then I joined Trentham Golf Club, be- better golf course. Had a practice ground, which was amazing back then. Actually, had a practice ground. <laughs> Hit balls, loved it. Um, and then I got a chance to go to Wentworth as an assistant pro, which I jumped on. I went down there for about a year, and then unfortunately the pro that was there, a wonderful man called Tom Halliburton, died very suddenly on the golf course. And so I wasn't sure whether I wanted to stay stay down there or not. It was very upsetting for me. And so I had, I had a plunge on the European tour. Um, so I played, I don't know, maybe I played two seasons on the European tour. I probably played about 16, 17 events. Uh, no great success, but but I do remember standing next to Seve in my first tournament and the European Tour, the Portuguese Open, and his ball made a different sound to mine. Very different <laughs> sound to mine. Mine sounded like it was being, you know, a pea shooter. He sounded like he was firing a cannon, but that was the first time I saw him. Anyway, um, not, not to go too deep into this, a couple of years later, I missed a four-foot putt on the last hole of qualifying school. A little sort of stinker down to missed it on the low side. Did it like a 36 handicap and never had a chance of going in. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So uh, Jeff Marks at Trentham gave me the opportunity to teach. And I I never stopped teaching. I did actually get my tour card back. And I, I don't know if I'm the only one, but I might, be, I might be the only one to actually have a tour card, get it back, and then chose not to play a single event because I was making money teaching, didn't have enough money to go and play with. And knew that my game wasn't quite good enough to compete so i went out on this um journey of teaching and you know my my pursuit of knowledge not unlike yourselves uh led me to john jacobs it then led me to bob tosky in america and uh created a really nice relationship with bob tosky and peter costas and jim flick and got a job in america in 1985 so i've been over here 35 years now and it's it's been really interesting. I mean, the teaching, as you two know, is a little different in America. Bigger practice grounds. I think more people take lessons, uh, probably. But it's been, you know, I've, I've enjoyed every bit of it. And, of course, uh, as you know, my better half, my much better half, <laughs> uh, is still a very good player. But she was a great player. She won nine times around the world, two two Solheim Cup teams, and uh, had a top five in every major. So taught her along the way. And that's how I got into teaching, really. Um and it still fascinates me. Even now, I've converted my garage into a sort of a, a hitting studio. Had to cut a hole in the roof because I kept sticking the club in the roof. So I've got a big hole in the roof now. And this week's project, there's nobody listening to this, is there? This, this week's project, you won't believe what this week's project is. I cut a hole in the roof so the club can't hit the roof. Got that. Good. Don't hit the roof anymore. But I bought at Christmas, I bought myself a nice Christmas present. I bought Dr. Rob Neal's 3D sixth off system, which you two know measures pretty much everything. It'd almost tell you what you had for breakfast in the morning. It measures pretty much everything, except in the garage floor, the steel in the floor. So the magnets in his system don't like it. So what am I going to do? I'm digging a bunker in the garage floor. I've got <laughs> Joe the concrete cutter coming around on uh friday morning and he's going to cut me a piece of concrete six foot by five foot we're going to go down about a foot and then just fill it with concrete and then i'll be good to go i will never need to leave the cave lisa can just slide oat cakes under the door that'll be it oat cakes and toast with marmite that'll be it 
So that's what I'm doing with my time. How about you, Tim? What are you doing? Are you under, are you under quarantine? Are you under quarantine? Uh, yeah, well, no. So what we we just about actually, as we as people listen to this, it will have changed, obviously. But as of tomorrow, you can go back to work if you can only work. If you can't work from home, golf courses will be opening tomorrow, so you can actually play golf with one other person. Obviously, social distancing. So, but as far as we're concerned, we've been doing all sorts. Andy's been filming in his back garden. I've been filming. I haven't got a garden. I haven't got a garage of any size. So I'm actually filming out the back of the garage in the car parking lot stroke bin area so it's i get some interesting smells some interesting <laughs> guests and there's and there's been a few interesting shots as well <laughs> well i think you've both done remarkably well since you first came to see me at ibis i mean it's great to see how well you've done and uh Appreciate keep up the good work is what i would say to that thank you thank you i'd love to get into a little bit of your coaching as well now and, and you mentioned Bob Toskin. I've got a quote here from Bob Toskin that I think that I'd like to, to, I'm sure you've heard this, but Bob Toskin said, uh, said, should I say, he knows how to teach the game of golf. Martin Hall is number one. I think that, that kind of sums you up a little bit. And, and we, we always like to ask this question. I think it's a great question to ask you. What is your role as a golf coach? Oh, well, first of all, I know where that quote came from. That's when I had Bob on the TV show and he was behaving extremely well. Uh, <laughs> and he was being very kind and very generous. Um, I, I don't think of myself as number one at all. I mean, I don't I have no desire to be known as the best or, or this or that. I don't I don't even know how you quantify that as a teacher. I mean, that's I always liked when David Duval was on TV when he was playing so well and people said, are you the best? He said, that's for others to judge. And I think it's for, you know, it's for your students to judge. If, you, if you're a teacher and, and maybe you get some notoriety as you have both had and I have had, and maybe you're at some small course in Northern Scotland and you get no notoriety, but you can still be a great teacher. Just because you get notoriety doesn't make you a great teacher. And just because you've had no notoriety, it doesn't mean you're not a great teacher. Um, I think the people who decide if you're a great teacher are the students. Mm. And if your students are getting better, you're doing a good job. Um, what do I think my my role is? I, I, I think to be a good teacher, you have to have many hats. You have to be an educator. Uh, you have to be a motivator. You, you have to be an entertainer to some degree to keep people engaged. So I always say, you know, you, you entertain, you educate, you motivate as a teacher. You've got to be able to pick people's spirits up when it's not going well you've got to make sure they don't get too carried away when it is going well i think there's there's so much more the golf swing's a big part of it <clears throat> but there's so much more than just the golf swing and yes excuse <clears throat> me i think you I, I i'm doing a podcast later today with um graham walker and jonathan yarwood on juniors for the pga of great britain and ireland and one of my themes is going to be you have to prepare your students for the inevitable uh, slings and arrows that golf will 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 bring them that uh, don't think you won't be disappointed. Be sure that you will be disappointed. Don't think you won't hit bad shots. Get ready for when they come. And mm. I teach all my players, uh, they know they have to repeat this phrase. I, I say to them, now, look, you're going to have some pretty bad days in golf. And when you have a really bad day, I just want you to say, this must have been one of those days Martin was talking about. So <laughs> so people are prepared in advance. Um, I mean, no, nobody's mastered this game. Nobody's come close to mastering this game. And people say, I want to be consistent. I was at a cocktail party with John Jacobs many moons ago. 
And at the start of the golf school, someone, John said, what would you like to get out of the school? Chap says, I'd like to have a consistent golf swing. Now, John, I don't know if you ever met him, but he was terribly witty and very funny. So this chap says, I'd like to have a consistent golf swing. John says, I suspect you've bought one of those with you. <laughs> Which is absolutely right, because most people are frighteningly consistent. They're just consistently not very correct. Yeah. So... I think the idea that you consistently can strike the ball down the middle all the time, and people just have to be realistic about that. It's, it's Jack Nicholas said to me a long time ago that what determines how good a player is when you're talking about the ball striking part is the difference between your best shots and your worst shots. The narrower the gap can be between your best shots and your worst shots, the more likely you are to be able to play good tournament golf. Um, you know, anybody who started golf youngish or is reasonably athletic, if they hit enough golf balls, they will hit some shots that look like Tommy Fleetwood. They will hit some shots. Well, they won't hit shots that look like Rory, but they'll hit, they'll hit some very, very good shots. But the severity of the bad shots is what gives you the key as to, you know, what their potential is. And, you know, so I, th I, think, you, I think you have to prepare people with, with the golf swing, the ability to control the ball. I think you have to prepare people to deal with the emotional ups and downs of golf. I think you have to prepare people um, that the unexpected will come. One of my favorite phrases, I got this from Harvey Mackay, is in Malaysia they have this phrase that says, just because the river is quiet, it doesn't mean the crocodiles have left. And I think in, in life, just because everything, you know, look, I mean, if, if, if um, I was at the PGA show in January, and it was buzzing and it was fantastic. And nobody, everybody thought, you know, we're going to have a fantastic year in 2020. I mean, we'll see nothing like it. You're right. We'll see <laughs> nothing like it. Um, so I think just because the river is quiet, it doesn't mean the crocodiles have left. And I try and prepare all my students and I try and lead my life thinking what could happen on the good side, what could happen on the bad side. Uh, because stuff comes along that can derail you that you don't expect. And if it's if if you look at that as catastrophic, that's not helpful to you. So uh, that's what I try and do. I try and prepare them at many levels. It isn't just swinging the golf club. And I don't think you can tell how good someone is just by watching them hit balls on the practice ground. I don't think you've got any chance doing that. I think 100%. it's. I think it's a really good. I think it's a really important topic as well. We've had some um, performance coaches on over the last few weeks, Martin, as well. We've had Lynn and Pierre on, and Carl mm -hmm. Morris and Brett McCabe, and one of the the common discussions has been expectations and and i think yeah. it is clear i think it's so important for all golfers to have some realistic expectations because then that they're, they're equipped to deal with the bad stuff as you said the bad stuff's always going to be there so if they expect it to happen when it does happen they're not going to blow up and have that you know immediate reaction that then spirals out of control for the golf well you've got a better chance i think look i mean i i know all this stuff and i still get in a tizzy on the golf course i mean we all can and i mean Rory knows all this stuff, but I think he would freely admit that last July at Port Rush, when he stood on that first tee, all of a sudden, the magnitude of that suddenly hit him. He'd been preparing for it, preparing for it, but oh my God. So, I mean, it happens to the very, very best, but if you are prepared for it, I think you can manage it. You can manage it better than someone who's not prepared for it. So I think that's a big thing. For, for me, the the... How I would say I, I try and develop players, I think the first skill you have to have is the ability to control the golf ball, which is what John Jacobs always told me. John would always wave his finger and say, Martin, 
Golf is ball control. It's what the ball does. And I think this age of cell phones and people taking... By, by, by the way, by the way, when when Grandpa Joe is taking cell phone videos of his grandson <laughs> and he's standing in the wrong place and the camera's moving, the phone's moving as he's taking them, and then they send, and Grandpa Joe sends you the video to analyze, uh, <laughs> it's, it's next to useless. So, I mean, any of your listeners, I think it's really important. If you are going to video your swing, have it on a fixed tripod or at least prop it on your golf bag. I mean, don't, don't, don't have friend Jonathan holding the camera because he'll never hold it still. They never can. Um, but in this age of video, um, video shows you style, but ball flight shows you skill. And I'm sure Carl, well, when you had Carl Morrison, I enjoyed talking to Carl Morris because he's far more skill based than he is style based. And, uh, you know, his, his latest work, his latest couple of books, and his latest video course have both been fantastic to hit. It's not, it's not what's wrong with my swing. It's what's wrong with my shots. I love that question. And I, I'm always looking at the shots. The, the way I analyze the golf swing on the range at Ibis, which you've seen me do, first thing I do is watch people hit golf balls, seven, ten golf balls, because I want to see what the pattern is. And I always think there's a pattern. I don't care who you are. There's always a pattern. And then I'll video it in that order. And I've already decided what I want to, which way I want to nudge the swing by looking at the ball flight. And then I'll be looking for what I call the smoking gun on video. I'm, I'm looking for why isn't that ball doing what it should be doing. That's what I'm looking for on video. I'm not looking to say, oh, do you know? I know you're 57 years of age and your waist size is 40 inches. But do you know you don't look like Rory McIlroy on the downswing? <laughs> it's like, yeah, we knew that. Um, so I, I, I look at ball flight and then I try and look at the golf swing to understand why the club's doing what it's doing. And then I use a lot of stuff I've learned from Phil Cheatham and Rob Neal and uh, many others on on how the body is, and Dave Phillips and Greg Rose, on how the body is moving. Um, I think I think you have to be to 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 be someone who can implement change. You have to understand what's going on, and then I think having done that, I think you have to have a simple a simple response to that. We you know as teachers, we probably need to understand it in its full complexity. Yeah. But then you have to be able to deliver the message like it was just a simple aspirin. Absolutely. I think that's important. Keep it, keep it simple. Yeah. And I totally, totally agree with that. And I think there's, there's a big, there's, there's a, there is a mountains upon mountains of information now based on golf swings and what have you. And I think it's, it's the easy thing to show you know, whether it's online or whether it's on the lesson tee or if it's on TV and it's somebody talking about it, it's easy to talk about the golf swing because people see it as quantifiable evidence of, 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 of a movement. But then when you start talking about their performance and even looking at the ball, because when, when we're filming on our phones, we're not seeing where the ball's going. So, you know, it's purely just looking at the style. So I think it is massively important to anyone listening to this that they need to understand what the ball is doing. You know, me and Andy will always convey that message. And people will upload swings and say, to us, oh, what do you think of this swing? Well, what's the shot you're hitting? What yeah. shot do you hate hitting? And what shot do you want to hit? But that, that said... I know there'll be some things that you would like to see in a golf swing, you know, as far as not so much a philosophy, but it would be more things that you would like to see. What sort of things do you like to see in a golf swing? Um, I like to see a fairly centered pivot. I don't like to see the head moving a lot back and forth. I don't mean it stays like it's the center of a circle. I like to see a fairly centered pivot. I like, I like to see the shoulders turn 
fa- fairly steeply on the backswing and steeper on the downswing. I think the age I grew up in, people were encouraged to turn the shoulders level. Uh, perhaps not so much these days, but I think that's absolute rubbish. I don't think the shoulders turn level at all because we're, we're bent forward, so they can't so they can't possibly turn level. Uh, I, li- I like to see downswings. I like to see something that's got a loose relationship to a plane. Uh, depending who you listen to online at the moment, if you use the word plane, some people go savage. They turn berserk. I say, there's no such thing as a plane, a single <laughs> thing. I don't think Chuck Cook or Martin Hall or Hank Haney are saying there is. I don't think we are saying there's, you know, there's a single plane on which you swing the club up and down. That's impossible. However, I would say understanding what a plane is and knowing the club's relationship to that plane any time in the motion is extremely helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and even those that say there is no plane, they do say, but there is a functional plane from hip height to hip height. I don't even know what that bloody well means. <laughs> Either there is or there isn't. But what, 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 what's the difference between a plane or a functional plane? Here's what I do know. If you, if you put the camera in the right, what I think is the right place to shoot the edge of the plane, and someone's a good player, and they go hip height to hip height, and you trace that down the line, you can certainly draw a line from impact, and that club will be on that line with Tommy Fleetwood and Rory McIlroy and all the players that you've had the chance to be around. They're not coming from wildly above that line or that plane or wildly below it. So I like to see what I call a relationship to a plane. Um, <clears throat> and then I like to un- I like people to... What else do I like? I like to see width. I like to see structure. I think the less good the player, the less structure they have in their swing. I think the better players have much more push with the arms at all points in the swing. You know, they they use the upper body. They use the upper arm to triceps a lot more. Um, I like to see shift. I like to see some lateral shift in the downswing. So if I went from takeaway to finish, I would like to see... Um, grip we can come back to maybe I like to see a fairly wide takeaway like Rory, I like to see a centred pivot, I like to see width at the top on the downswing I like to see some lateral shift of the hips, I like the hands to be ahead when you freeze frame it at impact on video, I like to see width through the ball, I, I do not like people talking about the impact position <laughs> because I don't think there is an impact position, the only time there's an impact position is when you've got a camera that can take pictures at 240 frames or higher, and you can click a call pause button, then you can see where the club was at the instant of impact. But I think when people say the impact position is everything, like, well, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. That's when the club's going its absolute fastest, and you've got the least control of it. So as Jimmy Ballard used to say to me, that's like driving up to a stop sign on the road at 100 miles an hour and trying to stick your brakes on so you stop exactly... On that <laughs> on the line. Side. You just can't do it. So I, I think I, I I look at impact on video. I look at where was the club a couple of feet before the met the ball. I look at the club meeting the ball, and I look at the club about a couple of feet after the ball. And I feel that that motion gives me that plus the ball flight gives me a good idea of where the club probably was. I like to use launch monitors. I like to use I like foresight very much. I like TrackMan, but I would say to both of them, I think they're good, but they're not God. They don't always get the numbers right. Mm-hmm. And I, I would tell any young teacher, I'd tell anybody, uh, they're very helpful. They will nudge you in the right direction. 
But don't don't bet your life savings on what any launch monitor says because it can be off by a degree or two. There's it, there's there's error tolerance in it. So, you know, when when a machine says that ball started 1.3 degrees right of tar, he's like, did it? Did it really? You sure it wasn't 1.7 or couldn't it have been 1.1? I mean, you don't know for sure. We know it was somewhere in that region, but I wouldn't. And the same with swing path. I mean, it's it's somewhere near plus or minus two degrees, maybe plus or minus one degree on a good day. So I look at that a lot. Um, I think if someone, you know, if you can tick all the boxes on video, I talk a lot about sequencing them because I think when you've got a, a pretty looking swing, then I think sequence or what people have called tempo over the years, but I'd prefer to call it sequential motion. I think that tells you, you know, that the good players tend to have a very similar sequence coming down. That's yep. what I see. Yeah. And we see that. We see that from the, the whether we want to go into the graphs, the, you know, the 3D graphs and that. We know we do see that. And it's, yeah, I think that's good. I mean, it, you know, it, it, you know, you can see that you're almost putting in the engine to the car, aren't you? You're making the car look nice, but then you're putting in a nice, powerful engine by working with that sequence. Well, I think that's right. I mean, and really, you, you know, it's more important to have a good engine, not a, not a, not a pretty bodywork. I mean, you know, you don't, um, you, you don't want a car looking like a Ferrari with a Ford Fiesta engine, do you? I mean, that's no, that's no use. <laughs> not at all. You want something look like a battered old banger that's got on the outside and rusty that's got a Ferrari engine inside it. I mean, <laughs> you look at some of the swings. I don't know if you guys have ever had a chance to stand next to Bubba Watson and see him hit it. No. Um, on the range, but yeah. Well, on the range. I mean, it's quite something. Yeah. Because if you didn't see where the ball was, you would say, no, 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 you need to be over there with the rest of the amateurs getting ready for the pro <laughs> If you look at it... But if you didn't see him and you just watched the ball, it, it's obviously it's fantastic. You don't win two green jackets without it being so. So, I mean, I think Matthew Wolfe, I think you have spent time with. Mm -hmm. it, it's unusual. I mean, what he's done with George Gankers, it's unusual. The, you know, the big forward press and the lift and the twist. And it's unusual, but, it, but it's not, uh, but it's very functional. That's for sure. Absolutely. It's got a good engine. <laughs> it's got, yeah. definitely got a good engine. Well, the end, I mean, the pivot's the engine, isn't it? That's... <clears throat> The engine is the pivot. Yeah, absolutely. So, so as as you mentioned earlier as well, that we've we've obviously spent time watching you coach, and it's and it is an amazing setup. And it's interesting you were saying just before how you've got the new learning center there, which is fantastic. But the the actual practice facility that you've got is superb. And I know that you would probably. I, I'm trying to get this right. Actually, I'm guessing that with your assistant, that you are there an, at least an hour and a half before your first lesson, getting everything out. Is that still the case? Almost, almost two and a half hours actually. So you probably added a few more since 2012. So that's probably why. But, but it's it's amazing that you've got all of these things out there. So obviously that the training aids or things that you've devised yourself, but all of them are used to paint a picture. And I think the one thing that we really like about your coaching is that yes, you understand all the knowledge and everything you've learned so much, but when the person you're you have on that lesson tee it has to be perfectly clear for them and it has to have an image almost and that's what you're very good at but that, that that's something that's obviously very important to you yeah i think i mean partially that's because how i feel i learn best and sometimes people say i'm, I'm a kinesthetic learner i'm an auditory learner i'm a visual learner it's like we're all we're all all of that you know everybody learns with all of those senses um but i think having the right picture is really important um it is easy to misinterpret someone's words, but having the right picture, 
I think it's very important how you demonstrate is very important. The speed as a teacher, the speed you demonstrate is very important. I I, I saw someone, <clears throat> um, someone who worked for me for a while, who was a great young man, but he would have this ridiculous habit of he'd be teaching 75-year-old Joni somebody or other who could hit it on a good day, maybe 75 yards. And he would say, no, no, do this. And he would grab his drive and hit it 300 yards. And I would just give him a damn good telling off at the end of every day. It's like, you don't want her seeing that. That's no help to her. You know, you, you want to make a swing that's slow and gentle and hit it about 75 yards so she can associate with that. So I think how you demonstrate is very important. I think painting the pictures is very important. I, I got this one from Faldo. Um, that, that, you know, people think Nick is, <clears throat> sorry, Sir Nick, better call him Sir Nick. <laughs> Sir Nick. <laughs> I think Sir Nick is incredibly technical. But when he plays, he's actually fairly feel-based and, and a lot of images. And he said to me, look, an image, an image or a couple of key phrases can create a whole motion. And that's always stuck with me that I think the right image, and that's why I use training aids to sort of teach with and um, demonstrate with. The right image can do a lot. Um, I think demonstrating in slow motion as a teacher can do a lot for people to understand it. So yeah, I like images a lot. <laughs> can, you, can you remember? Can you remember the guy? I forget the guy's name. He, obviously, we were not going to say anyway. But I think he was from New Jersey, and he was he was having some issues with some sort of he was control his control of his goal swing. And you put a big wall in front of him, and he literally stood fifteen feet from the wall. He says, "Right, we want you to hit it really with a full swing. Hit it as slow as you can. Create as much control as you can." And you looked at us, and you basically went, "Get out of the way, because <laughs> this golf ball could go anywhere." <laughs> well, I've done that a few times. I don't remember exactly what student that was, but I've done that a few times. But that that does stop them hitting too hard. It does. I mean, especially for pitching, that works very well, actually. <laughs> yeah, it was great. You were trying to get some control. Stop <laughs> <laughs> <over> accelerating. <laughs> So, Martin, one of the things that we've heard you mention so so often is that you know you're you're a coach and that's your job, and that's what you love doing. And the golf channel's been more of a, a hobby to you. And I think the fact that you've you know you you still dedicate your time to coaching recreational golfers and and, and shows the passion that you have for it. What are the the biggest misconceptions that you've seen that golfers come to you with? Because that's a that's a key thing and a key responsibility for us to to change and change that mental picture that they have? What do you, what do you see them, them struggle with? Well, I think, um, I don't know where this epidemic started, this, this teacher, this golf swing epidemic started, but um, I think for whatever reason, somewhere along the line, someone decided to say every bad shot was caused by you didn't turn enough on the backswing. And I think a lot of people think, I didn't turn, I didn't complete my turn. They look like a bloody corkscrew trying to screw themselves into the ground. And then, of course, the, you know, the arms go with the pivot and they get too much, they get too much around it. Um, so I think sometimes people, people associating their interpretation of what a turn is. Because, look, we know that you don't just turn. You turn and you tilt and you extend the spine and then you flex the spine and you have lateral motion. I mean, it isn't as simple as just turning. There's so much stuff going on. Um, if, if there are any teachers listening to this who haven't looked into uh, 3D technology, they should do because when you understand 3D technology, you realize it's far from just a turn. Um, I think also that I think instinctively people think you power the swing 
um, with the hands and arms, and they they whack at it with the hands and arms, you know, just thrash at it with the hands and arms. And I mean, the hands and arms do go fast, but I think they go fast on the back of what the body's doing. And um, I think it was Ben Hogan that said, you know, the, the hands and arms have a free ride in the first part of the downswing. They have a free ride on the body on the first part of the downswing. So I think that's probably the, the biggest misconception I think people have is that you have to swing your hands and arms really fast from the top to make it go far. I don't tell people to swing their arms fast. It doesn't mean I don't like the arms going fast. I just don't tell people to do that. And I'll try and get there another way. Yeah, I think what I think the the interesting thing about golf is that what actually happens and what you should think about to get the motion are, are obviously are often totally different, aren't they? Oh, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. That, that um, you know you can think you can think you're cocking your wrists early or you're not cocking your wrists early, and that's where video is good. It's a, it is it is a feedback interruption tool to show people what you're really doing as opposed to what you think you're doing. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a very hard game. I, I mean, anybody who thinks it's an easy game obviously hasn't played. It, it is. I think it's an extremely difficult game to play at a high level. Uh, and I think anybody who wants to try and keep getting better needs constant feedback, which isn't always fun. I mean, that's part of the, um, you know, the deliberate practice from Anders Ericsson, the, the sort of deliberate real practice that makes a difference. Is, is bone crushing horribly difficult that makes a difference and anybody who thinks that moving your right thumb from from here to there is going to make a world of difference is sadly disillusioned it's, it's, it's very difficult but um they'd love it to be that simple though wouldn't they <laughs> they would <laughs> to be it won't be it's so why i would like it to be that simple except when you've done it as long as i you, you know that it's not and i think that um I think I think the longer you do it, the more complexities you realize that there are, and the more you marvel at the players that I've been around and the players you two have had the chance to be around. Um, when you watch people like Rory McIlroy or Tiger, or um, you know some of the ladies I've had the chance to work with, Kari Webb or Annika Sorenstam, I used to love watching. Never worked with them, but I used to love watching. I mean, Annika was more like a machine. She's more machine-like than Trackman. She's better than Trackman. Um, and, you know, I, I sometimes say to people, when you actually understand the ballistics of impact and what has to happen for a ball to go straight, it's actually not surprising we hit bad shots. It's more surprising we ever hit any good ones, actually. <laughs> when you think, you know, the error tolerance that you have. If your club faces out by a couple of degrees and your path is off by a degree, you lost ball in the weeds, gone. Um... And I think things that we've learned, haven't we? I mean, the last 10 years, how important it is to hit the ball on the right part of the club face, you know, especially with the driver. I mean, we didn't know that 10 years ago. And, you know, spraying the face with some foot spray now, we know that if you don't hit the driver in the middle, you can't trust the ball. Fly. That's, that's one of the things that I do understand now that I wouldn't have done 10 years ago because, I mean, I heard Butch Harmon say it, I heard John Jacobs say it, and we'd have to tweak it just a bit now. They'd say, the golf ball tells you everything you need to know about what happened at impact. No, it doesn't, unless you know where it was hit on the face. Yeah. If it was hit right in the center of the face, the ball fly can tell you everything you need to know. But, um, I mean, you know, but maybe some listeners don't know. If you hit a ball off the toe, you can hook it with the face that's open to your path. 
And that sounds impossible. And if you hit it in the heel, you can fade it with the club that's close to your path. And that sounds impossible. But but that gear effect's very important, especially with the long club. So so we didn't know that. I didn't know that. Didn't know that growing up. And that brings us to this next question, Martin. From your experience, what are the things that you think every golfer should really include in their practice? Well, I think you should be doing things, whatever they may be, to try and create solid contact, whether it's putting a tee either side of the ball and hitting through a gate, whether it's putting spray on the face, whether it's using impact tape. I think you need feedback for where you hit it on the face. I think you need something down the target line, whether it's an alignment stick or I actually use a pole that's about 15 feet high down the, down the target line. So you get the start direction of the ball because that gives you a very good idea of where the club face was. I call that, you know, the that's the five-pound track man. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and then I think you, if you know where the ball started and you saw where it curved and you know where it's hit on the face, if you've got a little bit of knowledge and a bit of help from a teacher, you can make a very good guess at where the path of the swing was. And I think, you know, for most people, you don't need more than a, than a guess. I mean, unless you're working with a player on the European Tour or, or the LPJ Tour or the, the, the USPJ Tour, uh, you know, we don't really need to know if it was 10 degrees out to it or 8 degrees out to it. I mean, if the ball's starting left and curving left and you down the middle, you know it's too much out to it and the face is shut. So um, I think that. I think um, I would like to see every golfer, I know it'll never be the case, but I would like to see every golfer have a tripod and a phone holder to put their phone on. So when they do take video, they get reasonable feedback. Um I would like to see most people have more structure in the golf swing. That that drill that, you know, we've all done where you put some exercise behind bands behind your back and just just stretch your arms out a bit so you've got more structure. Uh, most most golfers need more structure. Most club golfers need more structure. You know, I, I get because I play at the medalist sometimes I get to see Tiger hit quite a lot of golf balls and. Um, <clears throat> actually quite civil to me these days i've had a few nice chats with them, as a matter of fact <laughs> i want to tell you one about the putting in a minute that i had with tiger just before the open last year um but but when you are you've seen him we actually see tiger he's not as big a guy as you think is he no 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 he's not. i mean his legs and his weight i mean he's very well proportioned but i mean he looks like he could be a flipping rugby player when you look at him on television but when you see him in person He's got a very narrow waist. I mean, he's chiseled, obviously. But the structure, the structure that he keeps in his swing all the way back and all the way through, it, it, it's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I, had a, I had a nice chat with him, sort of, um, just before the Open last year. So I was on the practice ground at the medalist. And the only two people on the practice ground were Martin Hall and Tiger Woods. That was it. Nobody else there. <laughs> and so I was watching Tiger. He was not watching me. I was watching Tiger. <laughs> and I was about to film a show on the Golf Channel about putting. I thought, you know, it would be really nice if I could pluck up enough courage to go over and ask Tiger, why he does so much putting just with his right hand? Was that, was that the idea of his dad, Earl Woods? Or was that his idea? Or why does he do it? So I thought, <clears throat> I was on one side of the range. He was on the other. And eventually I thought, you know what? Go and ask him. Just just the worst he can do is tell you to take a long walk off a short pier and go play with the track <laughs> somewhere under. That's the worst that can happen. 
He won't punch you in the face. So I got him. I walked over, took a big deep breath. I walked over, and he'd got he'd got headphones on practicing. I walked over, and I stood there. And I mean, he does talk to me these days. And he took his headphones out. It was like, what? I said, listen, I hope I'm not interrupting. I know I am. And if you want to tell me to just take a, take a hike, um, we'll be. He said, no, it's all right. It's all right. I said, so um, I'm doing a show on putting. And why do you putt with your right hand? Was it your dad's idea? He says, no, 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 no. I don't mind talking about that at all. I'll be glad to talk. He said, no, it's my idea. Always like, he says, uh, you know, I like the feel of releasing the toe going past the heel. And they said, I don't, I don't even know why my left hand is on the club. I don't, I don't even feel my left hand when I'm putting. And actually, it was really interesting watching the replay. I don't know if you got it in the UK. Watching the replay of the Masters with Jim Nance interviewing Tiger. It was so interesting to see that those critical putts he hold at 12 and 16. He was saying, yeah, I remember trying to slam the toe past the heel. On the putting green, Tiger Woods, <laughs> Masters, last round, trying to slam the toe past the heel. And so he talked to me quite some length about how he liked to feel the head swing and he liked to feel a bit of it. I thought, that's great. <clears throat> So I said, thank you very much. And I went, I went, I went back to my car and I called Lisa. I said, I said you won't believe this. I just asked Tiger Woods about right hand putting only. And she says, that's good. Said, Did you ask him if you could post it on social media? I said, no, I didn't ask him. She said, get back there and ask him. Said, oh, no. So I go back <clears throat> And they go and ask him, and he's good. He's acting. I said, Tiger, wife wants to know. She does the social media. Can I put on social media? He says, yes, no problem. So I go back to the car, and she says, did you ask him? I said, yes, I did ask him. <laughs> she said, did you get a selfie? I said, no, I didn't get a selfie. She said, get back and get a selfie. So I went back, and I got a selfie with Tiger. So that's how I got my selfie with Tiger. But he was uh, he's really mellowed. I have to say, he's really mellowed over the years, and he's... You know, he loves playing golf with his son, Charlie. Uh, plays a lot of golf with his son, Charlie. Charlie's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. He's little, but he's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's been, it's been great fun, as you have done, to spend time with the world's best players and see how good they are. And, you know, but know that they have their issues, too. I've spent, you know, quite a bit of time with Rory, as you have. Um, you know, I play a lot of golf at the Bears Club now and see him from time to time. I haven't seen him last couple of months, obviously, but... Uh, uh, for for those that don't know him, isn't he a nice guy? Yeah, I think he's probably the nicest, Martin. Yeah, he's unbelievable, isn't he? He's incredible. He doesn't want to talk about him. He wants to talk about you. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. let's talk about your golf golf game, Martin. It's like no, I don't think we need to talk about my golf game. <laughs> um, but he, he's a super nice guy, and um, again, he's another one that when you see him, he's not as big as you think, is he? No, not he's as big no. As yeah, he's nice. But the the speed that he generates with his with his type of body action is fantastic. That's um, phenomenal. Yeah, I got last time we did did some filming with Rory and with his coach Michael Bannon. And I think Michael Bannon was, was, was very honest and very nice. And he basically said his job had always been to just make sure he didn't get in Rory's way and didn't overcomplicate it for him. And I think it's really nice to see someone like Rory has kept his relationship with Michael and obviously trusts him. He doesn't need to. I mean, um, and they, they keep it pretty simple. Yeah. Um, but he still works very hard. I mean, all these guys, mm -hmm. they... You know, they work so hard on the games, don't they? They hit so yeah. many balls. They work so hard. Yeah. yeah. And I think they're getting it's a little bit more, impressive. they're getting a little bit more wise to using their time in a better way as well now, which is, uh, 
which is which is which is set with definitely a, the way that it seems to be going for them in terms of practice but it's great i mean that's a, it's a what an amazing story martin as well just going back to the tiger wood story from you to hear that you know you know a guy from staffordshire and the career that you've had and then you know you you remember the medalist it's uh, it's an incredible story to hear and it's uh, it must be pretty special for you to look back at that and go well look how far i've come um i do sometimes think that so so a boy from newcastle golf club who played at Trentham Golf Club, uh, who I mean, certainly didn't play for England, played for County, but didn't play for England, to, to end up as a member at the Bears Club and a member at the Medalist uh, and, and have a show that's gone all over the world. I can't, I can't really believe how that happened. You know, you have dreams and you think maybe things will happen. But I would say that the one, the one thing I have done, uh, and, and so have you, and so hats off to the one thing I have done is I haven't been afraid to ask I think you have to ask for things, and the worst someone can say is no. If you ask politely, that's the worst they can say. And I, I, I still I look forwards more than I look back. I mean, I know obviously I'm on the back nine of my golfing life and my life. That I know that, uh, but I still I look forwards and think what 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 would I like to do and what what can I still learn? I've actually been reading a couple of books that Rory recommended. I don't know if you've heard of Ryan Holiday. Have you heard of him? Yeah, yeah, the daily yeah. stoic guy. Yeah, ego really, is the enemy. Yeah, it's it's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. I think it's fascinating, and it's fascinating that I mean, I've looked at uh, obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy based on Rory's recommendation, mm. and he t- spends a lot of time reading those things. And I mean, there's just such a lot of good stuff, which would circle back to how important the conversations you have with yourself are when you're playing golf or when you're practicing. Um, so if anybody wants to be a good golfer, those are two good books. Not doesn't come from Martin Hall or Piers or Andy. That comes from Rory McIlroy. I, I saw John Rahm reading that the other day as well. He, I hear, he posted he? that saying he was re- reading Ego is the Enemy. So. Oh, wow. Did you really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, for John Ryan Holiday's beast. Yeah. <laughs> I tell you what, you've actually brought us on nicely because we we have to talk about, obviously, we were going to ask questions about Tiger Woods. I think Andy's still got one that he may want to ask you, depending on whether we've got time. But I know you've obviously spent a lot of time with Jack Nicholas as well, or a, a good amount of time with Jack Nicholas. And the, the age-old argument will continue, who's the best golfer ever? It's out of those two, we would probably say. Unless you ask Gary Player, then he might have a different <laughs> argument. Yeah. Well, he's won more tournaments than anybody. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. but but... And, and actually, there's an interesting story that I think you told us once about Jack Nicholas about three putting on the back nine in major championships. I think we can we'll, we'll be a good one to talk about that one in a moment. But what was it like being associated with Jack? And obviously, this is through Jim Flick and Jack Grout. What was it like just speaking to Jack Nicholas about golf? Uh, it wasn't easy. Um, see, so, I mean, Jack is a very nice man and he has mellowed with age. But someone who has done what he has done, just like Tiger is, just like they all are, fiercely competitive at everything that he does, whether it would be fishing, whether it would be tennis, whether it would be business. I don't think you get to the top of the mountain in golf if you're not fiercely competitive, whether it's Rory. I mean, Rory is a super nice guy, as we said. But if you were going head to head with him to play golf, he would rip off your head and shout down your throat and he wouldn't even blink. Because that's, that's what you're supposed to do. But working for Jack, um, I think you had to be really careful you didn't say something stupid. Because he would just 
cock his head and give you one of those looks and just shake his head at you if you said something stupid. <laughs> and I, I did I did a few times. I did say that. And I asked him one time, we're in the back of the car going somewhere. I said, so what do you think is the right position at the top of the swing, Martin? Like, God damn it, Martin. There's no position at the top of the swing. There's no positions. It's a game of motion, not positions. Duly noted, Mr. Nicholas. We'll forget <laughs> that one. Um, but what did I learn from him? That that he liked to keep it simple. I think um, I used to love watching Jim Flick work with him. I would sort of just, I'd be the fly on the wall when Jim was working with him on his game, and I learned an awful lot from that. And I mean, Jim, Jim was very clever how he would maneuver around. And I think like a lot of good players, it worked best when Jim could maneuver Jack to eventually whatever swing change Jim wanted or thought Jack should make, and when it was Jack's idea, <laughs> it was great. That's sort of, and imagine that's what you'd have to do with Tiger or any of those guys. Um, but working for Jack, it was very interesting. I mean, very, very, very much a player who thought, thought, talked, and still does about using the head of the club a lot on the downswing. And, and he would say, you cannot release too early as long as you move your weight to the left side on the downswing. Now, I think I think what I would say is he could not release too early. Yeah. Because if you look at the pictures of him, his twenties and thirties, I mean, gigantic thick legs. I mean, strong like a bull. Um, and so he had so much leg drive. He had to feel like he was, you know, throwing the club from the top. No evidence that he really did that. But watching him hit balls, I gave him one lesson once. Actually, I gave him a lesson when he was about. He'd be about 55 just before the Open Championship at Lytham. And he, he finished about fifth, I think, when he was 55. Oh, lovely. When Lehman won in 1996. And, um, you know, his, people talked about Jack fading it. And I, I gave him this lesson just before Lytham. <clears throat> sorry, just quickly on that. I That was the first time I saw Jack Nicklaus. That was the first and only time I saw Jack Nicklaus play in tournament golf. And I was rushing. We were flying up the motorway to get there. Took us ages to park. And he it, and it was the Friday maybe, and I think he might have birdied seventeen. But anyway, yeah, that was all you're doing. Well done. <laughs> he, he, he was using my swing. No. <laughs> but um, I uh, he did finish about fifth or sixth that yeah. week. Something like that wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but you know they talk about the Nicholas fade. I mean, it was more like the Nicholas. It would flutter. I mean, it was like a butterfly just fluttering to the right. It wasn't. You know, it probably moved two or three yards, five yards maybe. But um, <clears throat> so what do I remember about Jack? I mean, using the head of the club a lot, big, big turn, steady center, used the legs, um, spent a ton of time with Ken Bowden, who wrote all Jack's books. And Jack would actually, sorry, Ken would actually ask Jack questions for me. So um, I think I got a really good insight into what, sort of swing thoughts Jack used and he used a lot of thoughts he had an awful lot of thoughts he didn't just use one there, there was a um, they they played the I think it was the Florida amateur a few years ago at the Bears Club and at the prize presentation Jack did a little because uh, the Bears Club is Jack's private club as you know in in South Florida uh, that, that Jack did a little sort of address to the participants of the event and he took some questions and, and somebody said, so I understand, Mr. Nicholas, you used one swing all your life and you just stayed with it. 
And he laughed. He said, I don't think I've even used one swing for an entire round. <laughs> I've had thousands of swing thoughts. Now, I would say the essential motion looked the same, stayed the same, but the nuances inside of that motion that, that, that only a player could feel and, 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 and he would know, but no one could see. I mean, those are the things that I've valued that I got from Jim, that I got from Jack, that I got from, um, uh, that I got from Ken Bowden. I mean, an example would be... <clears throat> Jack would say, I, I, I know it's true, but I've never heard anyone say this. Jack would say, you know, when he tried to fade the ball, all he would do was make sure the heel was leading the toe just a little bit at impact. And then he could fade it. And, and, and I've, after he said that, I was driving home. I thought, that's ridiculous. <laughs> I feel the heel of the club leading. And then I thought, that's probably why he's Jack Nicholas and I'm not. <laughs> Um, because, but but I think you can if you choose to think of the heel of the club. I think Jack was a player who Jack Grout taught him to use the body a lot, but I think Jack thought an awful lot about how he used the club. He would describe himself like a carpenter using a hammer, and he would think, well, if there's a nail, and I've got a hammer, I'm thinking about the nail, I'm thinking about the hammer. Jack would think a lot about how to apply the club to the ball. He wouldn't, he wouldn't go into great detail about what his hips and his shoulders and his elbows and did. And he certainly wouldn't know about, you know, going from extension to flexion and then into radial and then into all, the, you know, all that stuff. He did it all, but he wouldn't know it. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it begs the question, do we need to know all that stuff about the wrists and the hands? Maybe we do, maybe we don't. I, I think uh, you... I, Maybe as coaches, yes, obviously, but but yeah. then you know the information we give out. I mean, it it suggests not with all of the the really good players that we've ever spent time with. The same as yourself. The, what's the common denominator? Simple. It, it always is coming back to simple. Yeah, I think people would be absolutely shocked. The the golfer at large, let's say that, would be shocked. The typical ten handicapper, fifteen handicapper, twenty handicapper. They would be shocked how simple a Jack Nicklaus, a Tom Watson, a Gary Player, a John Rahm, a Dustin Johnson, a Ricky Fowler. They would be shocked how simple they like to keep the golf swing. Of course, they're immensely talented, but they do keep it really simple, don't they? No big thoughts for them. No, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, look, we, ha we have to talk about this as well. I know we're going to be running out of time soon, but we'll, we'll, we'll be good. We'll be good. So you wrote a book, Houdini Shots, obviously. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, we talk about these great players and obviously he's up there uh, um, um, in that category. You, you had some some unique access, obviously, to do that book. That that must have been very special for you. And, yeah, well, well <clears throat> I never had a conversation with Seve, so I wouldn't anybody want anybody thinking that. I think I played, I, I counted it one time, I think I played in 14 events that he played in, that we both played on the European Tour. So I saw him on the range, I saw him on the putting green, I saw him in the hotel. Um, never had a good, watched him whenever I could. And it was always interesting, at the end of the day, I remember in Germany, particularly one year, at the end of the day, all the Spaniards, I mean, Ballesteros, Garrido, Pinero, Calero, they would be round the putting green chipping and laughing and, you know, maybe there'd be a cigarette going and a beer going, but they'd be chipping and they'd be, they'd do that for an hour or two before they'd go and have dinner every, every single night. So they all competed and it was great to see them doing that. But uh, the way that book came up, because I always admired, I always admired Savvy ever since I saw him, you know, in the first event I ever played in. And it was obvious how good he was going to be. 
and um, you know, obviously you're younger than me, but maybe you have some memories. I mean, he he could he could get it up and down out of a ball washer. He could get it up and down out of out of anything anywhere. Um, and it always intrigued me. John Jacobs told me great stories about how he had somewhat influenced Seve when he was with the Spanish Federation, and they they would do this drill where they would take the the three iron and lay the face back and Seve would chip with a three iron. I'm not sure whether Seve learned that from John Jacobs or whether John Jacobs learned that from Seve, and it might well be that way. But if, you know, if there's a, if there's somebody who's young or a teacher who's listening to this, if you can get people to chip with a six iron, pitch with a six iron, I mean, I mean, just really lay the, lay the face back with a six iron and make them all go high, lower the hand or things like that, that would be great. Uh, but but this book came about, the Houdini Shots book came about because Leonard Kandler had done a ton of photographs for a for a series of articles, Golf Magazine were going to do on Seve, and then it was never used. So an author bought them and said, would I like to do a book on them? I said, I certainly would. So I did this book of 50, 50 shots that were uh, photographs of Seve playing shots, his comments on them. And then my interpretation of, of of the photographs and comments and uh, yeah, it was um, it it was it was a big project, took a lot of doing, but I was proud of it when we'd finished it. I mean, Lisa helped me a lot, obviously, and uh, I mean, he was. I asked Tiger one time when Tiger was doing a clinic about this was when I was just uh, I think I think it's in the book somewhere uh, when I was just finishing the book. Um, I asked Tiger about Seve. Had he spent time with Seve? He said, Oh yeah, absolutely. He said I had two or three conversations with Seve. One of them was over an hour long on just how to get the club, just how to get the club under the ball at the bottom. And D David Guilford, who you might remember, obviously a Staffordshire boy, uh, he played two Ryder Cups. He played Ryder Cup with uh, Seve at Oak Hill. And uh, I so I've quizzed quizzed David many times about uh, Seve. He said he said he was amazing. He clipped the ball. He said he never took much David. He clipped it. The most lofted wedge he had in his bag was 53 degrees. Never had a 60. He always had 53. And he said the thing he remembered about Seve is, doesn't matter what pitch it, it always moved, the ball moved so slowly through the air, which I think must have been just the quality of the contact. Um, there's some very good tape. Robert Baker did a very good tape years ago, Logical Golf on the Short Game, if you want some. Have you seen it? I haven't seen I, it, I, but I've no heard of it. I've yeah, no heard it, but yeah. I've never seen it, actually. Dig that up, because it's got it. Seve when he was a little bit older, but Robert talking to him about it. They don't keep the camera still, unfortunately, but um, it's really interesting to see it. And I mean, he was absolutely breathtakingly good you could you you know we talked about contact with the driver and iron there is a contact when you're pitching as well the best pitches there's a certain so i'm sure when you watch jason day the sound is just unmistakable of just clipping the ball off the top um and so yeah i mean i loved watching him hit chip shots and pitch shots and admired him i mean he died far too young obviously but uh left great memories he was he was europe's arnold palmer there's no doubt about that Absolutely. It was. Absolutely. Right, so should we go to quick fire round? I know we're just struggling on time. I think a so, bit. Andy. Yeah, that's good. I think that's good. Okay, perfect. Right, okay, Martin, we're going to go through a quick fire round. We do this at the end. Sometimes these don't, these aren't quick fire, but we'll do it as <laughs> quick as we can. I wondered if you were going to do this. I have no idea what's coming. They're all safe questions. They're, They're quite all safe tame, questions. actually. <laughs> okay, can you give us three truths that you've learned about golf? It's difficult. Um... It takes a lot of work, and it takes constant maintenance. 
There we go. Thank you. Very Perfect. Good. Best advice you've ever received. Best advice I've ever received. Well, I've received received so much advice from so many people. Um, I think some of the best advice I've ever received would actually, for my golf swing, would have come from Rob Neal, the sports scientist who studies, you know, what the body does and all that sort of stuff. And um, I think the best advice I've ever received, I mean, more lastly, actually, is is what you do with the lead wrist in transition. Not not so much about closing the face that people talk about, but how actually going from a slight extension, a slight cup, to a slight flexing will shallow the shaft. So there's, there's such a lot of people talking about laying the shaft down. If you actually go from cup to slightly above, that will shallow the shaft for you. So I think that's probably the best piece of advice I've ever had. Perfect. Nice. What would you change about golf? Nothing. Nothing? Oh. Perfect answer. That was a quick answer as well. We've had some... We've had some... I, wouldn't, I wouldn't. I think if you change something, people have talked about making the hole bigger. I mean, I think you lose the nature. I, there isn't anything. I, I've had largely a love relationship with golf, sometimes a love-hate relationship with golf for a long time, but I wouldn't want it to be any different. I mean, I know it has to evolve with the times and, um, you know, golf clubs and country clubs around the world, they have to adapt to the cost of it, but... I wouldn't change anything about the game of golf. Perfect, good answer. And look, obviously, you're in your um, your library or your study there, Marty. We can see all the books you've got, which is we know you're a um, you know a, a, an avid learner, as somebody's always researching. What's your favourite golf book that you've read? Favourite golf book or most influential? I think probably the most influential book. I mean, there's pieces, there's chapters and, and pages from every book that have an influence on me. But I'd say the book that changed my life was How to Become a Complete Golfer by Bob Tosky and Jim Flick. I got that not long after I started teaching, and that set me in a completely different direction. And sometimes I've, I've made it a bit of a project, actually, in this sort of two-month lockdown, to go back and look at some of what I thought of the classics and still see if I think they're they're solid and some of them not so much so but how to become a complete golfer by bob tosk and jim flick which i think was printed you know way back maybe 1980 it's a really really solid book on how to move a golf club back and forth and it's a pretty complete book on how to play golf with chipping and putting so that would be my favorite for a lot of reasons i don't know that it's the absolute best technical book but that would be my favorite book for lots of reasons perfect Okay, and the, and the final question then, Martin, is the, you've been around a lot of golfers, a lot of great golfers. If we asked you to build the perfect golfer from driving, irons, um, putting, and short game, who would they be? Well, I think, <clears throat> I don't think there will ever be that player because remember Jim, Fl Jim Flick told me a story about when he would do the Golf Digest panels and Sam Sneed would be on there. And Jacobs was on the panel as well at the same time, actually. And, and the conversation came up, but did you win more tournaments when you were driving it well or did you win more tournaments when you're hitting good irons? And John Jacobs said, you know, because he was a very good player. He didn't win as many as Sam Sneed, obviously. But Jacobs said, you know, when my driving wasn't quite right, when I little knuckleball, little, you know, nasty, ugly little fade that I didn't like, 
my irons were fantastic and I won all my tournaments. And when my drive had the big, high, beautiful draw, I couldn't hit my irons close. <laughs> and Sam Sneed said basically ditto, exactly the same. I think... I think the best driver of the golf ball, probably, I mean, the best driver is going to be between Greg Norman and Rory McIlroy, I think. I mean, um, I don't, I don't, um, I don't think I would see it that way, Piers. I wouldn't build a perfect golfer like that. I think every golfer, every golfer has an Achilles heel. Everybody's got chinks in their armor. I think if you're good at putting and chipping, you might struggle with the driver, if you're a great driver and you sweep it off the top, your three wood might not be so good. I mean, some of the best fairway wood players take a little bit of a divot. Um, I, 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 I would come back to, I think what makes someone a great player is you've got to be able to putt, you've got to be able to chip, you've got to have a good short game. You've got to be good between the ears, that's for sure. Mm. Uh, I heard Pete Cowan doing a podcast the other day. And he said that it's attitude that makes a difference. You can have all the talent in the world, but if you haven't got a great attitude to deal with what golf will throw at you, it doesn't work so well. Um, and I think it's just the difference between your best and your worst shots. I think having a predictable ball flight pattern, choosing draw or fade is, is a big deal. I think you need to be able to hit them both, but one should be easier than the other. So I don't, I don't think I would build the perfect golf. Exist. I think I did. I did some filming last year at the at the RNA testing centre with the robot, yes. and um, th this was absolutely fascinating. I mean, I'm sure we're getting close to the end, but I, I'm all right. I just want to be too long for you. Yeah, we're good. We're good. we're good. we're good. Steve Otto, who's the you know the hmm. chair for the research for the RNA, we get there, and I said, "What time do you want to start filming?" He says, "I'll get there about seven thirty. So I get there 7.30, I said, ready to go. He said, oh, no, we've got to warm up the robot. I said, what do you mean warm up the robot? You bloody robot, just turn him on. She said, oh, no, we have to warm him up. Takes about half an hour to get that robot and get it dialed in with the hydraulics. I said, so I'll wait till 8 o'clock. I said, are we good to go? No, no, we've got to test him now. And um, so first ball, beautiful. Second ball, beautiful. Third ball, 15 yards right. I said, what was the hat? He said, oh, robot makes mistakes too. <laughs> even, even with the robot, they can't hit 10 out of 10 perfectly straight. And it could be it could be the ball. Steve said it could be the ball. could be a flex in the shaft. could be the grip on the club. I mean, could be the contact point is one dimple difference. So if a, my take on that was if a robot can't hit five in a row that are the same, then we have no chance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I wouldn't look for a perfect golfer. I'd, I'd look for numbers. I just don't see it there. I mean, you know, it's 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 a nice thought, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> I, I just I don't think it could ever happen. I 100% agree with you on that one. If, especially if the robot can't do it, we've got no chance. We've got no chance. Martin, perfect. yeah. It's been fantastic for us, obviously. And but I think anyone listening to this as well is really going to get some good value out of this as well. So you know they. They can hopefully listen to what you've said, play this back again, listen to the key parts. And I think there's, you know, really is some good value for them. And again, thank you so much for your time. But so just a few things for us to finish with now. So what's next for you and where should people find you if they want to learn more about? Um, well, look, people go on, can go on Martin Hall Golf and see what I've got to say. I mean, what's next? What, what martinallgolf.com uh, what's next for me I want to just keep getting better I want to leave the best footprint I can um, 
you know, I've got some really good juniors I work with. Um, I want to see how far I can take them. Um, I don't know how much longer I'll do TV for. I mean, the whole TV landscape has changed. This this might be it now. Um, you know, so I've done 10 years on the Golf Channel. I don't know if I'll be doing it next year or not. But I don't, I don't think I would want to play golf every day. I want to still be involved in it. Um, <clears throat> and I... I think I'd just like to try and it, it it's it is a responsibility and it's not easy, but I like to try and help people and inspire people and I enjoy doing that and see people do well. I mean, it's been wonderful to see how well you two have done from two urchins who arrived on the tee at uh, Ibis <laughs> having just left the three hammers. You should go back and buy the thing. That's what you should do. Go back and buy it. <laughs> I think you told us that before, actually. <laughs> I have. <laughs> Brilliant. But no, no look... It's yeah, been it's amazing, been great yeah. to have you on, Martin, and and just share. I mean, look, we've shared your pretty much life story there in in a very short amount of time, and there's a lot <laughs> you've learned over the years. So it's a pleasure to have you on, and you know, from myself and Pierce, you've been a, a huge impact on us. So uh, just a big thank you from us. And the reason you're successful is is your continuous pursuit of just getting better every day. And I think if we can continue to do that, that's uh, you know, hopefully we can make a difference like you do as well. So thanks for that. You are very welcome. Glad to see you both doing so well. Stay safe. Thank you. Cheers, Martin. So there you have it. Big thank you to Martin. As you can see, the man oozes knowledge and wisdom on the game of golf. So hopefully you've got some real cool takeaways from that that can help you with your game. Now, speaking of helping you with your game, how would you like to break 100, break 90, or even break 80? Well, you can at meandmygolf.com because we have these six-week coaching plans which are designed specifically for you to break your landmark score. We've had thousands of golfers over the last couple of years who've done extremely well with these plans and they've managed to break 190 or 80 for the first time and are continuing to do that now as a result of doing these six-week coaching plans. So please, if you are interested in doing this, go and check them out at meandmygolf.com. You can sign up for the free trial, you can see week one for free, and you can see what it's all about. Thanks so much, and we'll either see you at meandmygolf.com or on the next podcast.